What's going on, everybody? DeMarco here with Deadlifts, Dogs, and Dad Jokes, another episode. And uh, very excited to have a special guest on today. We're going to talk about kettlebells. We're going to talk about cigars and what other things kind of come up. So it's a very special guy, someone I met online. He's uh, achieved the Sinister Challenge, the uh, Simple and Sinister. He has completed it with the 48-kilogram kettlebell. And that's something I'm actually currently training for. So selfishly, I'm excited to pick his brain and figure out how he achieved that feat of strength. He did he did it last year and uh, excited to talk about some other stuff. So kettlebell guy, he's also strong for certified as I am and very pumped. So we're going to have some fun and hopefully learn something. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Morning. Yeah, man. Perfect. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I'm super happy to to have you on. I'm uh, very, it's, I'm honored that you took the time to, to be on the show. Oh, likewise. I, I'm glad that you let me come on the platform. And this is the first time that I've ever done a podcast or anything like this. So, and this is the cool thing about uh, social media and Instagram and stuff like that. We get to have conversations like this. So, oh, absolutely, man! I couldn't agree more. And I'm, I uh, like I said, I'm super pumped to to have you on here. I don't remember how I found you. I feel like somebody that I followed probably followed you and posted or shared something of yours. But I just remember seeing one of your videos, and I think you were probably snatching a heavy bell or doing I, you're, you also do the bent press and uh i saw it was like man that's a lot of weight and that's really good technique i should give this guy a follow and check his stuff out so uh but i've been watching your videos for the last you know a couple of years and uh definitely drew inspiration from it and um just just fun you know you just post fun stuff and you're you're definitely super positive and i knew that uh you know your message and everything was going to be great for our audience so yeah, I appreciate it. Likewise, I, I I respect everybody that swings a kettlebell. You know, especially mm-hmm. if you're a, a busy person, a, a working professional, and uh, it, it's not easy. You know, it takes a lot of time, and and uh, of course, you're you're kind of on your own too. You know, doing a lot of this stuff. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, you're. It's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely an individual sport, and it and it all does. Uh, you know, fall on you. Although the one nice thing is like yesterday, for example, um, so I'm a, I'm a stay at home dad. I do train some clients and I do have a small online training business, but I, for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm dad, stay at home, Mr. Mom duties. And yesterday, for instance, was our, you know, laundry, chores, cleaning, all that stuff. And, you know, between that, taking care of our baby girl and uh, all that stuff, we, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to train until, you know, last night, at like eight o'clock. And obviously, I was tired just from, right. working on, you know, shoveling, you know, I live in Massachusetts. So you don't have to worry about this. But we were, you know, I shoveled the car out, uh, you know, snow and all that. But um, and I was I was pretty tired. But I, uh, but I definitely, you know, I, I needed to, my my goal for myself was I need to hit three sessions a week, you know, with, yeah. uh, with my schedule. So I knocked it out, you know, did my 10 minutes of swings, did my uh, you know, 10 get-ups and uh, it was good. And the nice thing about kettlebell training, which I'm excited to talk to you about is, uh, you know, if you do it the right way and don't overdo it, it'll, it, it revitalizes your body. You feel sure. good after a training session, you know, versus, you know, you go heavy barbell and it's, it's good. I love the barbell, but the barbell, it'll smoke you. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially after heavy deadlift session. I need a couple of days after doing that to, to yeah. fully regenerate. Oh, absolutely. I just, I, I'm, I'm laughing because when I do eventually, uh, hit sinister, which I'm also excited to talk to you about today. Uh, you know, I'm definitely going to go back into the barbell and, and my, uh, my in-laws always laugh about how I just eat so much food because I'm so active. 
And, uh, and I just, I, I tell them, I told them, I said, uh, man, just wait till heavy squat day. When I, when I go yeah. back to heavy, heavy barbell back squats and, uh, and front squats, uh, it's, it's my stomach becomes a black hole of, of endless, uh, consumption. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I do a lot of, uh, high rep squatting at the gym, which I've yeah. posted a few, I don't post as much barbell stuff as I do kettlebell stuff, obviously. Um, yeah. but, uh, the high rep squat, like I like watching like the, the old Tom Platts videos of just oh, the yeah. really intense squatting. And I'll tell you what, when you, when you do like a 20 rep squat program or just high squats in general, uh, man, your appetite goes way up. Oh, um, yeah. I'm usually hungry either later that night or the next day. And, and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely has that effect. Oh, absolutely, man. And it's funny. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about all how we're jumping around here too. It's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, but I, I love the Tom Platt's, uh, you know, squat videos and workouts. It also reminds me of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, Franco Colombo and, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the guy, Mike Metzger, I think was his name Mike like, Metzger. from, the, from, yeah. from the, the, uh, the pumping iron documentary. And uh, it's true, man. He, you know, heavy squats are one thing, but the, the high volume squatting is also yep. very, very, very powerful. And it's uh, it's it's funny how you know whether you're a kettlebell or a barbell or a powerlifter or a bodybuilder, everyone thinks that their way, you know, is superior. And uh, sounds like you've figured out just like I have. Each of the modalities has something of value. And if you kind of Bruce Lee it a little bit and add the best of each, you can really put together an awesome. Uh, program like my I love heavy deadlifting and I mean very similar to like the tactical strength challenge right I just yeah. like a heavy deadlift mixing in pull-ups and then obviously the kettlebell snatch or the swing or clean and push press the jerk you know it's uh it's cool how those those kettlebell ballistic movements they'll they'll build basically everything right your yeah. work capacity your grip strength your conditioning uh but they don't take away from your other lifts if anything they augment right. and improve them so I feel like the, I think the swing is, I mean, it, it's, it's still, it's becoming popular, but it's, man, it's, it's a, it's a hell of an accessory move to your deadlift. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Especially the two handed swings. Yeah. Uh, you know, I do that. Um, you know, I snatch more often than I do swings, but yeah. every once in a while I'll throw in the, the heavy two, uh, two handed swings with the 68 and, uh, the, the ballistics absolutely carry over to the deadlift. No question about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and this, I mean, the stance and everything, just yeah. uh, the position really, really sets you up for it. I mean, the, only, the main difference just being your hands, obviously a little further yeah. apart for the, uh, for the barbell, but yeah, absolutely. You're, you're a double overhand position. Your stance is very similar. I mean, uh, some people will go closer, uh, but for a lot of people, they kind of end up in that kind of sumo ish kind of stance yes. and yep. uh, it carries over, especially for someone like you, that's a taller lifter. It uh, typically, you know, but biomechanically works out, works out in your favor. So it's, um, it's definitely great stuff, man. Well, man, well, let's kind of go back to the beginning. I, I'm like, sure. super obviously pumped about all this. The number one reason I wanted to have you on here is selfishly for my, for my own self is I would love to talk sinister sure. with you. And, uh, basically if you just want to give everyone a quick rundown of what sinister is, and then I would, I would love to hear about how you completed the challenge, what your training looks like and, and uh, what your approach was from, you know, day one to, to Sinister. Yeah. And uh, when you mentioned that, I, I kind of had to go back and, and think from beginning to end as far as how my journey went with that. And uh, I do have to preface uh, the sort of outline that I would give by saying that 
before I even knew what Sinister was, I, I had been training with kettlebells for 10 years up until that point. Oh, and nice. so, um, I, you know, I, I had already had a pretty extensive background swinging the bells. Um, I didn't know, I had never even heard of Simple and Sinister about until about six months before I started training toward my SFG certification. Okay. So that was back in July of 2020. Um, I've never read Pavel's book. I couldn't even tell you one chapter or one word out of that book. So anything that I did, Simple and Sinister related, that was all based on my own critical thinking, my own anecdote, yeah. and so forth and so on. And, um, so with that said, when I started training for the sinister goal, I, I didn't work with a 32 or a 40. I jumped in right with a 48 and started working toward it. Um, the way that I approached it, and I don't know how much this is going to deviate from what, uh, Pav, uh Pavel or, or anybody else would recommend just because I've never read the book, mm -hmm. but, um, the first thing that I tested were the get-ups. So um, before I even tried anything, I just wanted to see if I could do the 10 get-ups every minute on the minute. And uh, when I began, I, I could pull that off no problem. Oh, wow. Um, as awesome. a matter of fact, um, when I did the 10 get-ups, I did it faster than every minute on the minute. As soon as I was done with one arm, I just went right over to the other arm and did the next one. So that that... That I did in about seven and a half to eight minutes before I even, you know, started getting into it. Now, the swings were a different story. And um, I think that that's where the vast majority of people are going to have problems is with the swings. Oh, big time. Uh, the first time that I attempted the swings within the five minute period, uh, trying to do that, not every minute on the minute, but the 10 swings every 30 seconds on the 30 seconds. So basically you have you know, 10 to 11 seconds worth of rest time before you stop one set of 10 swings and then start on the next. Oh yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. So the first time I tried that, um, it, it just wiped me out. I don't, I don't even think I got to 60 swings before it just shut me down. And, uh, your glutes and your quads, if you don't have the lactic acid built conditioning in the glutes and the quads it, it shuts you down whether you want to be shut down or not so knowing that i was able to get the get-ups without really any problem the vast majority of the training was spent on the swings i might have revisited the get-up portion once every couple of weeks just to maintain on it mm. and when i did work the get-ups uh, it wasn't even doing the the ten get up EMOM. It was uh, actually working up heavier to my fifty six, mm -hmm. and maybe doing you know th three alternating si singles on each arm for a total of six. Yeah. So maybe I would do one get up, rest a couple of minutes, do the other side, rest a couple of minutes until I got the six total, and even though. Uh, I wasn't doing the, the EMOM style with the 48 by going a little bit heavier and taking my time with it. I did find that by going back down, I was able to nail the, the, the 10 get up EMOM with the 48. No problem. Like the, the going up heavier in weight carried over to the, to the extent that it actually made the EMOM easier than doing the EMOM itself. So nice. okay. yeah. That's awesome. So 
that that was something that I did every couple of weeks. Now the swings that I would do a couple of times a week. And, um, I didn't want to make the simple and sinister goal, the sole rabbit chase. And that's what a lot of people recommend doing is just focusing on simple and sinister all by itself. Don't do anything else. I didn't really want to do that because I didn't want to regress in other aspects of training. And yeah. around that same time frame, when I hit the simple and sinister, the, the sinister goal, um, I, that was also the first time that I had double bottom up pressed my pair of forties. It was also the first time that I had bent pressed the, the 68 on each side. So that all happened around that same time frame. Oh, um, wow. that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, um, as far as the swings were concerned, how I programmed for that, um, I just started off real basic doing 10 swings on one arm resting one minute and then doing 10 swings on the the next arm and then doing the, the 100 swings total. Once I found that that was relatively easy, then I would go down to 55 or 50 seconds between each set and then 45 and then 40 and then 35 as I, as everything progressed and got easier, you know, regardless of how many weeks that took, I didn't really pay much attention to that. Yeah. I just based it off of when I became acclimated, when it became easy. And then at that point I would decrease the rest times between each set of swings by five or 10 seconds, Mm -hmm. test it out, see how it felt. If it was challenging, but it was doable, I would continue to do it until it became easy. Um, once I got down to about 20 seconds of rest time at that point, uh, trying to do all 100 swings with the 20 second rest time was too challenging. Not in the sense that I didn't have the strength or the conditioning to handle the, the volume, but the dealing with the lactic acid buildup in the glutes and the quads. Oh yeah. Still an issue at that point. Big time. Oh, it smokes you, man. It, it yeah. absolutely wrecks you the first time, especially. Yes. So what I did at that point was when I worked the swings twice a week, one of those days I would do the one-arm swings, and then the other day I would do heavy two-handed swings with my 68 to see if there was any carryover, which there was. Yeah. Um, if you program two-handed swings with a heavier bell the same way, um, I found that it was a little bit more challenging with the 68 doing it that way. And the great thing about the heavy two-handed swing is that the, uh, the distribution of the load is even across the lower extremities. Yeah. So it, it hits the glutes a lot harder. It hits the, the quads a little bit harder. Um, and it also gives like your shoulders, your collarbone, your SC joint a break. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did find that with doing the one-handed swings a lot, um, it did start to put a little bit of strain on the collarbone and the SC joint. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the two-handed swings, it kind of gives your your traps, your collarbone, that region a break from doing yeah. the, the one-handed swings all the time. So if you're running into that problem, switching over to two-handed swings, maybe even just temporarily, um, and programming them in the same fashion can help to alleviate that concern. And then once that kind of clears up, you can revert back to one-handed swings. 
And you may find that you have not lost any progress. In fact, the one-handed swings may actually be a little bit easier at that point. Um, But nevertheless, once the 20-second rest times became more challenging, uh, at that point, I didn't uh, focus so much on decreasing the rest times anymore. But instead, what I did was I reverted back to 10 second rest times between each set of swings. But instead of doing 10 sets of 10, I would do uh, like 10 sets of six. So I would, I decreased oh, the uh, repetitions and, and built into those 10 second rest times. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I would go 10 sets of six, then 10 sets of seven, then eight, then nine as weeks went by. Um, and what I found was that by doing that n- near the end of the uh, meeting, the goal, those last few weeks, um, it actually helped to develop the tolerance as far as being able to handle the lactic acid buildup in the quads and in the glutes yeah. uh, with those 10 second rest periods. It also gave me an opportunity to really find a rhythm and a pace within those 10 second uh, rest times. So doing, doing the uh, set of swings, putting it down, knowing, you know, how many seconds you have to kind of shake your body off, think for a second hip hinge, go back down, pick up the bell, finding that rhythm and that cadence within that 10 second rest time is also important. I found, and, um, the better you get at that, um, then things will, uh, end up becoming easier as you find that rhythm. And so once I finally hit that 10 sets of 10, um, and that became easy and, I had a little bit of gas in the tank and I wasn't totally spent. Mm-hmm. That's when I started really emphasizing on combining the swings with the get-ups. Yeah. Um, I did combine the swings and the get-ups and do a full sinister set every once in a while, but not that often just because I knew the swings were the weak point and that's what yeah. needed to be emphasized more than anything. But what I found was that once I was able to nail that 10 set of 10 swings within that five minute uh, time frame, have a little bit of gas in the tank, rest that one minute, uh, then I was able to pull off the 10 get up EMOM right after one word and then finish the full set. And so once I did that, that's whenever I sent my video to uh, Strong first and then they they gave it to me. So yeah. Um, that's cool, man. And I saw, you know, I, 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 I commented on your post, obviously I, I watched your, I watched your video. It was, uh, absolutely amazing. And your, your, uh, your reps were solid, man. They were, they were, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm SFG like you are, but I wouldn't consider myself an expert, obviously. Uh, but I, when I watched it, I watched every single rep and I, there, there wasn't a single swing that, that in my mind that was questionable. It yeah. was crisp, strong, uh, great, uh, great height. And uh, you were packing the shoulder, which you have, you have to pack your shoulder yeah. back. The way. You, you, you can't, you can't be lazier. You, you will, you will jack up your shoulder. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It fired me up to train. I was like, shit. Yeah. Like, I, I watched your, uh, I watched the sinister and I was, it was just for my workout. I was like, man, I'm, I'm good now. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I don't really consider myself an expert per se. Um, I don't really view myself in that light, so to speak. Yeah. I suppose I have a lot of experiential knowledge just because I've, I've yeah. spent so much time over the years um, training and figuring things out and enjoying the process. 
kettlebell training has kept me grounded and for the most part kept me out of trouble. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have this in my life, you know, because I'm a high energy guy. And, uh, you know, I was that kid growing up with ADHD and was oh, hyperactive yeah. and stuff like that. And so, um, and then of course, in my late teens and my, my early twenties, you know, I wasn't like the most virtuous guy, you know, I was, you know, um, doing the college thing and getting into a little bit of trouble, but not, yeah. not anything serious, but, um, I definitely wasn't making very good choices, but once I found kettlebell training, um, that's the one thing that kept me out of trouble. And it also kept me in shape as far as, uh, you know, working a full-time job and then going to, to college as a full-time student at the same time. I didn't have time to go to the gym around that time. So exactly. I needed an at-home solution. And throughout the years, um, it's just progressed little by little. And, uh, you know, here we are now. So it's just been a, a step-by-step organic process. You know, it, I, I, I'm tickled to death and I can't really believe that it's gone as far as it has, as far as the Instagram thing, having this conversation, maybe do another podcast in the future with, with yeah. uh, other pages. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with, with everything you just said. I'm, I'm the same way. I uh, happen to stumble upon the kettlebell. I'm not nowhere near uh, as long as you have, I've been, I've been uh, a lifter for uh, probably about, uh, I guess, 15 or 16 years now, but um, I've only been a kettlebell, uh, kettlebeller for the last uh, three, almost four years. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually still pretty, pretty new to it. Um, and it's funny, you, you, you've done, you know, you're over 10 years in the game and you, you kind of figured it out. Ironically, a lot of stuff that you mentioned earlier as far as your, your training, uh, theory and everything that you were doing is actually in the, the kettlebell simple and sinister by Okay. So, um, sounds like you in your own, uh, on your own way, you figured out some of the stuff that, that Pavel figured out as well, which is, which is cool. And I've noticed, I've talked to a, not a lot of people because most, you know, it's kind of wild. Most people aren't going to like commit to something like sinister because it's, it's pretty hard. Like, and it gets boring. Like, like you said, you, yeah. you, you're doing two movements and all that, but no, uh, nobody in the, and it's been about maybe five or six people now, nobody has used the exact same method. Uh, I have a friend of mine, um, who was doing martial arts at the time and his, he was doing, I think he was doing BJJ, uh, like two or three times a week. And the simple and sinister started off as just his accessory work, kind of his functional training yeah. accessory work. Um, and then he kind of, just happened to uh, kick up his training and then get into Sinister. But it, he did it over six years because it wasn't the priority. So he yeah. really, really, really took his time with it, which was cool. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't agree, uh, agree with you more, man. I used to, you know, before I became a coach and, and, and got into kettlebelling, you know, I was, uh, I was a pretty heavy drinker. Uh, I was smoking, you know, pack of cigarettes a day and, and I was, uh, you know, I was not doing well. I was on, yeah. uh, I was on some psychiatric medication for, you know, depression and anxiety and uh kettlebell training has has totally uh turned my life around it's one of the things i mean obviously yeah. i've got a loving family and, and wife and daughter but it grounds me too man it, it definitely helps with those busy days you know i get my 10 minutes of swings in you know my 10 to 20 minutes of get-ups and it's it's just it's again a nice at-home solution 
and you and I were prepared for the for the pandemic, right? We were we were yeah. already already ready to go. You know, the gym shut down, and uh, a lot of people were panic buying equipment, of course, and and it stuff sold out. But um, I only had one bell at the time, but I still had what I needed. I just had a twenty k and uh, snatching, get up, swings, yeah. you know, complexes, carries, you know, um, go out, you know, go go Tarzan it up on a tree somewhere and do some pull ups. And, uh, and just, you know, you, you can do a lot with that one piece of equipment. So it's, um, it's cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, as soon as Jim shut down, I was getting some pretty good barbell numbers at that point. You know, I, I was, I pulled like a 505 deadlift, uh, sumo and, uh, my squat was going up, bench was going up. And, And I also have to say that um, when I finished college at the end of 2018, uh, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start lifting a barbell again. And that was the first time that I had touched a barbell since maybe 2008. Yeah. It, it had been a bit, it had been 10 years since I had touched a barbell. And, uh, so I had spent a year getting myself reintroduced back to that. And I was putting good numbers up everything was going great. And then that happened, you know, Jim shut down and I was like, well, this is cool. This is just wonderful. Uh, as soon as I start making some headway, the gym shut down. And so I just started training more at home and just, uh, going back to what I was doing anyway. And the other thing that I got introduced to was, uh, training with the sandbags too. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, uh, uh, Richard Love, who has the exit exit comfort zone page on uh, Instagram, he he uh, planted the seed and in- introduced me to sandbag training. And uh, I bought my first sandbag. I-, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It it carries over to the kettlebells quite a bit with the uh, how it strengthens the erectors, uh, mm-hmm. the core development. Uh, I enjoy that a lot. And between uh, doing the sandbag training and all the heavy kettlebell work when I went back to the gym, when gyms reopened, uh, which was another like year layoff from the barbell. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't lose any barbell strength. Uh, I went right back into the gym the first day that I came back after a year of pulling five Oh five sumo, I went into the gym and pulled five fifteen. So that was actually a 10 pound increase from not even lifting a barbell at all. Uh, to going in there and, and lifting it for the first time in a year. So there's, there's quite a bit of carryover. I mean, you can't deny that. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm glad that I had the, the kettlebells and the sandbags here and yeah. the, the fact that I was able to just do that and then go back into the gym and then not really lose that much strength. I was tickled to death with that. Oh, no kidding, man. Yeah, that would, that would be cool. I, I've, I've done a little bit of sandbag training, nothing yeah. super crazy. Unfortunately, we're in a city apartment. I don't really have a garage. Yeah. And it's, uh, so if I were throwing a sandbag around in the apartment, I'm pretty sure my wife would, uh, <laughs> let's just say I would end up on the milk carton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, although in the wintertime, I feel like that would be kind of a cool yeah. rock before kind of, kind of, uh, kind of set up with training, but um, yeah, it was cool. We actually, we ran a bit of an experiment with, uh, with two colleagues of mine and I, we were, uh, and we were kind of, I joke that we're like this Jedi family and I'm, I'm the young one 
And my coach, Sean is like the next one up. And then, uh, Mike is like the master because he's the one that got us all into, into training. Uh, I joke that it's like, you know, Yoda, Obi-Wan and, and, and Luke right. Skywalker or whatever, you know, just that corny crap. But we all in training for our SFG and doing simple and sinister, we all, uh, PR'd on our lifts. So we went, um, I'm trying to, for myself, I did, I hit a 405 deadlift and then a year of kettlebell training and barely, I mean, I don't think I touched the barbell once actually, other than to demo for clients. Uh, cause I, I don't do a lot of barbell with my clients. Um, but anyways, I, I, I did a, I had a five pound PR after a year of training for my SFG and, uh, doing a little bit of simple and sinister work, which those, a lot of that goes hand in hand, yeah. you know, it's two of your main six movements anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I hit a 410 deadlift and, uh, my, my coach, Sean went from, oh gosh, he went from like a 410 or 415 to 425. And, uh, so he PR'd same thing. And then, and then Mike did, uh, somewhere North of four, I think it was like 425 or something. So we all hit like somewhere anywhere from like a five to 15 pound PR. And it was, uh, it was cool. It was really, it was really, really exciting to see the, uh, to see the carryover. I definitely got to get into the sandbag stuff because it looks like a lot of fun and it's just, it's like, like world's strongest man kind of, kind of training. And it just, it's, it's just yeah, it's real similar to the Atlas stones, which I've never yeah. really trained with Atlas stones, but a, a lot of the concepts are really similar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. The position's very, very similar. And, uh, I could see it definitely strengthening up your erectors. Yeah. For sure. Uh, with that, with getting in that really low position and, uh, you know, learning how to do that the right way versus yeah. most people just, just go into flexion, rush into it and right hips up and then get hurt. Yes. So, um, which asked me how I know that that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You that. and me both. <laughs> yeah. I'm no, I'm no exception to that. We've all been there. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially when you're a young guy in the gym, you know, it's, it's easy to chase numbers and, and, and ego lift and, and get yourself yes. back up. So uh, we've definitely, definitely been there. So you are, and we'll talk about all this at the end, but you, you have an ebook and you have another ebook, yeah. way, right? About kettlebell training. Yeah. I really need to get started on the next one. I, I the beginning of the year is a really busy time for me between mm -hmm. work. I work in the banking industry and I have for the last 10 years. And, nice. uh, that's what I was going to ask you next was, was what do you do for, for a living? Yeah, I work, I work on the technology side of the bank. So I work in, uh, info security slash cybersecurity. So nice. I've been working from home for the last two years, ever since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they're supposed to eventually send us back to the office. I don't know when, but in the meantime, yeah. I've been here, uh, in 2025. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in the cool thing about working from home is, you know, and, and I'll be honest, a lot of times whenever I upload stuff like a quick snatch test or a quick burpee test, a lot of the times those are on my 15 minute break from work or on a lunch break. So yeah. it, it does give me more flexibility as far as fitting in a few cardio sessions or doing some mobility work here and there. So, or, or doing a load of laundry, you know, uh, yeah. washing some dishes. So, yeah, man. absolutely. <laughs> but uh, I, I do get kind of tired of being here by myself. I am kind of ready to go back to the office to have a little bit more social interaction, yeah, but definitely. there are, there are good things about it. Um, and, um, what was the, Oh, the ebook. I, it, it's a really busy time 
you know, at the beginning of the year between what I have to do at work. Um, I also help my family run a youth basketball league here in Lubbock, Texas. And that's, that keeps me busy too. Um, I I help manage the website for that. And so once everything kind of gets out of the clear within the next week or two, I need to start working on an ebook, uh, in regard to the bottom up press. So that, that was the the next one that I was going to start writing. Um, it's, it's going to be a pressing ebook in addition, set it, it pressing. And then it's going to be a segue into the bottom up press, because obviously you have to address pressing before you can even get into the bottom up press. Oh, so course. it's going to address both. Um, as far as simple snatch programming is concerned, and you know, as I've produced more content and uploaded more videos, and I've made progress, and people have kept up with my journey, I get questions about stuff a lot, you know. Okay. And uh, and as I answer more questions, as I as I answer one question, they want another question and another question, and I get to the point where it's like man to to really put everything into perspective i'm gonna have to like write a book to really outline everything and then it just clicked and i was like you know what why don't i just do that and so Mm um you know and i kind of did a little bit of research and and modeled modeled that after other people who have done that you know uh whether they've self-published a book or come out with an ebook Mm-hmm. And I looked into self-publishing and uh, after I kind of had a template developed as far as what I wanted to do, I just went in there and did it. And whenever I wrote Simple Snatch Programming, that was during the two weeks where I was uh, positive with COVID. Yeah. So while I was positive with COVID and uh, really couldn't train very much. I decided, you know what, I'm going to write this. And uh, I made an outline, wrote everything about it, all of the concepts and the principles that I've followed in regard to building up my snatch over the years and uh, giving people an idea as far as what's worked as far as uh, getting to the snatch numbers that I've gotten to, whether that was uh, just knocking out the 100 rep snatch test with the 24 kilo, um, I've, I've hit a 120 rep, uh, PR 121 with a 32 and then, uh, that took more than five minutes. I've done a hundred reps with the 32 and four minutes and five seconds. Dude. Respect. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've got that uploaded on, on Instagram. That's somewhere on there. And then I'll go try to find that. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, Last year, around December, December, I had a, I got thirty four reps on each arm for a sixty eight pr total, uh, one hand change with the forty kilo, which I need to, I need to retest yeah. the forty kilo and see if I can get more than that now. I just yeah. haven't gotten around to it. Then a twenty rep, twenty reps on each arm with the forty eight too. So I've had various, you know numbers on the snatch and and i i decided to make an ebook just outline outlining what methods work for me and um i think uh, a lot of what i see from a panoramic view just kind of looking at instagram social media as far as how people recommend developing the the snatch 
and fitness in general, the spectrum, the, the pendulum swings quite a bit to where there's way too much emphasis on minimalism. And then the pendulum swings quite a bit to where there's, there's way too much emphasis on variety. And yeah. oh, I, I couldn't think, agree more. and I think that we kind of need to meet in the middle in that regard. And, uh, I, and with that said, with programming with the snatch, I see a lot of people, you know, doing like an EMOM for the snatch, or they'll do like 10 reps, put the bell down, rest for a very short uh, rest period, do another set with the uh, right hand, or, or do like a t either like an EMOM or a Tabata method style of trying to. Yeah. program the snatch or just trying to go in and do a full-fledged snatch test mm -hmm. and just keep running it into the ground until they can finally do it and um i i those those methods never work for me uh whenever i try to do it that way yeah um and what i really wanted to emphasize when i wrote the ebook was um not to think so much in terms of overnight success or yeah. where you're going to be in you know a month or three months just take it in baby steps and see where you're at in the long term you know um the uh like the the methods that i use in in the the ebook like the rep goal method the rest interval method when you can increase your snatch total by just one or two repetitions per week. You know, if you get two more repetitions on your overall snatch, that's two repetitions better. You know, that's, that's real. You know, that, that to be true. Absolutely, you know? yeah. um, so what I wanted to emphasize was just really focusing on small incremental improvements rather than trying to focus on, an ultimate goal. You know, I think that whenever in, in this goes, uh, this can be applied to any lift that you can think of, whether it's a, a pressing, like a barbell deadlift, you, you name it. Mm -hmm. People get too attached to the ultimate goal. And, and, uh, and I, and I, it's like, I always say, be a builder, don't be a chaser. Mm -hmm. And so when you try to chase after something and you're, you're going up the staircase and you see that door at the end of the staircase, instead of just continuing to take one step at a time until you finally reach the door and you can open it, you want to lunge at the door only to trip and fall and then roll back down the staircase and then have to regain ground and start over again. And, uh, you really have to emphasize acclimation and focus on the incremental improvement because when you when you increase your snatch by a couple of reps, you know that to be real. You know that that's attainable. If your goal is a 100 rep snatch test and you haven't done that yet, that's still kind of a figment of the imagination. Like you don't you don't really know that to be true or whether you can do that or not yet. But those little baby steps. Each time that you do that, that's a small win. That's a small victory. And, uh, and, and this kind of echoes what uh, 
J.M. Blakely said, the power lifter. I don't know if you you pay attention to Elite FTS on YouTube or absolutely or, yeah. uh, you watch Dave Tate stuff, but he had Jay, love Dave Tate. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. How, how I love how uh, how real and no BS he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved. It. I've I've followed Dave Tate and uh, and I've you know kind of adhered to a conjugate method uh, West Side barbell stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned Louis Simmons and the conjugate method and how that applied to the snatch programming as well, as far as having a a distance day and a force day, which I outlined in there. But um, the one thing J.M. Blakely said is that the only way to build confidence is through victory experiences. And uh, each time that you, you know, just have a small incremental improvement, whether it's one rep better each week or you go up five pounds on a barbell lift every couple of weeks, that's a small win. That's a victory. And more in, in every time that you have those small victories and they start to pile up, your confidence builds and builds and builds more and more. And so as weeks go by, as months go by, when you look at where you started at, and then you look at where you're at now, and you consider all those little baby steps that you made. And all of a sudden you realize that, you're doing 10 or 20 reps better, or you're doing, you know, 30 seconds to a minute better on the time that you're doing it in. Yeah. Just by making those small steps. Um, it's a huge confidence builder and you know, at that point that it's working. And so that that's the one thing that I really wanted to emphasize whenever I wrote the, wrote the ebook. Man, that's good stuff, Zach. And I'm, I was super, I was like, Jumping up and down yeah. uh, internally when you were when you were saying all of that because I that's very much what what I'm into as well. I love uh, be a builder, not a chaser. That's yeah. awesome. That we might have to take a picture of you doing a, a kettlebell lift and throw that on there, uh, make that a graphic or something because that's that's amazing. Yeah, uh, and that's I love the analogy of, of the staircase, and it's so true. It's it's so true how uh, we we can get caught up uh, in chasing a number and uh, and reaching a certain goal that we we lose sight of the progress. And it's funny because uh, you, the getups were very easy for you. You, you, you took to the getups very well. And it's probably, you know, you had, you had been training for a decade with the bells and with the getups. So yeah. I'm sure that was a big part of it. But I have struggled with the getups. That's been my, my hard part. The, the swings are, are challenging for sure. I have to, like you said, you build up the lactic acid tolerance and the conditioning and all that fun stuff. Uh, but the getups, I mean, I, I have to get my body like used to handling the, the, the 48 K bell. Whenever I go up a bell size, my forearms always get sore and like elbow. And it's, it's not lasting pain. It's just, it's just soreness and kind of, uh, really just kind of soreness and, and achiness, but, and it's like the elbow and a little bit of shoulder and wrist. Uh, but after, after a few weeks of taking my time and, and, and progressing, I can, uh, I can do it, but I would do, I do like half getups. My first, my first uh, session with the 48 was, was, you know, you know, two or three half getups per side, you know, just coming up into the sweep and then back down. Uh, and then yeah. I would do, I would get to, I could do four, four per side, then five. And then I would do one full one followed by four half getups per side. And you're absolutely right. You know, those little incremental steps are, are huge in the, in the grand scheme. If you make small victories every single week or ideally very small, uh, victories every single training session, uh, then it's very powerful. And I couldn't agree more. And I, and if I had, if I had forced myself to try to do the, the, the 10 getups, I, I would probably have, you know, a broken arm, 
a busted up elbow, I would have, you know, dropped it on myself and, uh, you know, it would be bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I will say too, that whenever I record get up stuff on IG, um, it's mainly top sets. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time warming up before I even work to those top sets. Oh, so okay. whenever okay. I start doing get-ups, I might start with a 24 or a 32 and do, you know, multiple repetitions and get my body warmed up and go from 24 to 32 to 40 to 48 and just do multiple singles and doubles before I even start working on those top sets. Okay. And, um, and I, and I have had a few people ask me like, you know, how did you get your, your get up to where it's at? And, you know, a few weeks back, I did get a, uh, a PR with the get up with the 68 on each side, yeah, I saw that. That was which awesome. I, I would, I would like to repeat that just because the, I didn't come down the way I wanted to on the left side. I did drop it a little bit. Um, that was a little bit sloppy. So at some point I would like to get a cleaner attempt at that, but I'm not really in a hurry for that. It's a 68. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, um, that's going to be, a struggle, uh, yeah. especially you if it's your first time doing it. You definitely um, don't want to rush it. You're, you're right about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was super excited to pull it off. Um, but people ask me as far as how I've built it up over the years. And, and I guess, I, do you, do you watch anime? Do you watch one punch man? So I, I am not, I've always wanted to get into anime, but I, I'm, I all, I grew up watching dragon ball Z, but that's it. Okay. I didn't a lot of this stuff. So. I, I love One Punch Man just because the episodes uh, he faces these like super powerful enemies, and mm -hmm. there's so much hype and so much buildup like going into the the face off for the battle, and they're super intimidating, and all this hype for him to just like punch them one time, and then they're just completely obliterated. And oh, then wow. he's, and, and then he's just, he's upset about it. He's like, no, not again. Like there's no challenge for me, you know? And, uh, but outside of the character doing that, like his day-to-day -day life is very ordinary. Like he doesn't do anything out of the ordinary. And, and I say that because whenever I explain to people how I go about certain things, people are very baffled that. Uh, somebody can achieve certain things by the most ordinary things that you can think of, yeah. you know, and, and I don't really do anything out of the ordinary. Um, most of the time, as far as developing the get up is concerned, it's uh, like what I had described previously with uh, doing the 56 kilo get up where I will just do, you know, I'll do a bunch of warm up sets, then work up to a top set where I'll do a heavy single rest a cup, two to three minutes, do the other side. And the key with the get up is not being so much, uh, rep oriented in terms of developing a strong get up and doing a bunch of repetitions as much as it's about being, uh, set oriented. So rather than trying to increase the amount of repetitions within a set, keeping the repetitions consistent, keeping it as like singles or doubles and increasing the amount of sets that you do. Um, so like if you start with a particular weight, like a 32, I'll just use that as an example. Mm -hmm. And you're just getting acclimated to that. Maybe you'll do three sets of singles 
uh, alternating on each side for a total of six. And as that gets easier, move up to uh, four for a total of four each side for a total of eight, mm-hmm. and then five sets to one alternating. And then once you get adjusted to that and that becomes easy, then try to go for the 40 kilo. If you can't get the 40 kilo and you're still struggling with that, well, then maybe go back down to the 32. And instead of do, yeah. doing uh, alternating sets of singles, do alternating sets of doubles. You know, go, do it, do a get up, come down, keep your arm extended. And don't come back down to the floor with it, but immediately go go up and do another one and do uh, sets of doubles on each side. And then as you do that, increase your sets. Go from three sets of doubles to four sets to five sets, mm-hmm. and then go back and do the 40 again. If you can't do the 40 still, then another thing that I've always done is getting out my duct tape, setting it in between a couple of chairs, putting a, like a two and a half pound or a five pound plate on the bottom of it, putting three or four layers of duct tape just to make that get up slightly heavier because, because the, oh, yeah. especially if you have kettlebells that skip from, uh, skip eight kilograms. Cause I, all the kettlebells that I have, they don't go from, uh, four kilograms from one of the next, they always skip to eight kilograms. So, oh, wow. um, and that, that's just a, Damn. That's just to time save. Yeah. That's just to save money on my part. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, taping a weight to the bottom of it and then, uh, just gradually progressing that way. Then you might find that you'll, you'll finally be able to hit that 40 kilogram. It might be a struggle to get it, mm-hmm. but even if it's a struggle, even if the form's not perfect, um, those slight struggle issues, those, those, uh, those form things going on, they will eventually resolve the more that you work on it. And uh, that's the one thing that uh, a lot of people don't understand whenever they they criticize form or technique, whenever you're uh, handling a weight that's really challenging, especially at the beginning. The form is not, there's any time that you increase weight, there's going to be degradation in, in form as the load increases, you just have to deal with that. That's reality. And so, uh, if somebody says that your form's not perfect or your technique's not perfect, and I I've gotten that sometimes working with like the 60 kilogram, which I do Mm -hmm. on a regular basis now, but I have to explain to people that I'm getting more and more acclimated to the 60 kilo. These technique and form issues are going to resolve and clear up. Even if it's a struggle now, I just got to get more used to it and do it more consistently. I'm not going to go back down to a 48 where I can do perfect form because there's no, there's no challenge to that. I'm not going to get better doing that. Right. 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 You have to increase weight and deal with possible form breakdown and work through those things. The more you work through it, the better you'll get at it. Oh, I but, couldn't agree more. Yeah. But it's just doing these basic concepts and, and uh, just being consistent that, I think pe- people are uh, a little bit puzzled by that. I don't, people don't, somebody like me doesn't do anything special. It's very basic, very ordinary. Yeah. There's, there, there's no secret. There's no, you know, magic thing going on. And I think that uh, one thing that you see in the fitness industry in particular is you have people 
trying to prescribe this magic program for this or, or this secret technique for that. And, and, uh, whenever you see somebody excel at something and you actually ask them what they do and they give you an honest answer, it's pretty basic. You just yeah. got to be consistent and, and get the job done. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more with that, man. And it's, it's so funny how, uh, you're, again, you're just, you're, you're hitting on all the points that I was thinking about before our conversation, you know, the last, uh, two, the last two years I've been, I've been, um, just focusing on, on Sinister for the last two years. And, uh, my, my sessions have almost been identical with some slight modifications here and there, but for the most part, I'm doing my hundred swings, you know, sometimes I'll go higher volume, but, uh, hundred swings and anywhere from, you know, four to 10 getups. And it's, you know, on paper, you look at it, especially to someone who doesn't know as much about training and kettlebell training. It doesn't look like much, but the, the, the secret sauce, quote unquote, secret sauce is I've started with like, I don't know, a 16. I think I used a 16, my first session ever with my coach, uh, three years ago. And, uh, you know, that 16 became a 20. Yeah. And it became a 24 and then a 28, then a 32, 36, 40, you know, and now, now I'm, uh, you know, working with the 48, but you, you hit on this also, my getups, they're not bad on the 48, but reps four and five on each arm, they definitely start to get tough. Like yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of weight. And my, I noticed my grip starts to give out the flexors start to get tired and my, my wrist is starting to break. It's not all the way here, but it's definitely breaking a little bit so it's like oh no i'm not sfg standard on my yeah own. yeah it's like it's gonna happen it's part of the process like you said when you're when you're uh when you're pushing yourself to the next level yeah so. yeah definitely it, it's kind of like in whenever you take a certification course or you read a book on something and and uh they teach you the theory and, and and then the practice ends up being a, a little bit different from the theory. I yes. kind of compare it to taking driver's education, like when you're in high school and you're first getting your driver's <laughs> license, right? Yeah. And, and and I'll just give an example of that. Whenever I took driver's education, whenever I was in high school and first got my permit, um, I distinctly remember my driver's ed teacher um, telling me that anytime that I'm at an intersection, and I want to turn left or right out of it to always turn into whatever the nearest lane is in, just get in that lane and then <laughs> use your blinker and then get in the next lane if you needed to get in the next lane, even if there's no oncoming traffic. And, and so I made, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know any better. And so that's what I made my practice. And after I had my driver's license for some time or either my permit, it's been a long time, but I was driving around with my dad in the passenger seat and, uh, I did that. And he was like, well, why would you do that? You know? And, uh, I told him, well, that's what they, they told me to do in driver's ed. And he's like, well, that's stupid. If there's no oncoming traffic, just get in the lane you need to get in. And so, yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, whenever you take an SFG certification, it, it's kind of like that in a sense, which is a good thing because, um, you need to understand all of the basic concepts and the principles from, you know, a theoretical perfect world standpoint. But at the same time, we don't, 
live in a perfect world, you know, there's going to be nuance that comes into play beyond a certain point. So. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely. And you just like, you know, just like me, you have all the cast iron. Although I see you have, you have competition bells also. You have cast I mainly, iron. yeah, I mainly have competition bells. Um, I started with cast iron whenever yeah. I first began. I still have like my little 20 kilo cast iron. Yeah. Um, I eventually switched to competition bells to get better at snatching and, yeah. and some other. I do find the competition bells, the the steel, uh, stainless steel, are easier on the hands and wrists. Big time. Um, yeah. They don't tear my calluses as much. Whenever I was start, whenever I had a, I had a cap 32 kilo kettlebell with a really thick handle and I was oh, yeah. trying to snatch with that. I was tearing my hands constantly yeah. with that thing. And yeah. then whenever I switched to, uh, the, the competition 32, I don't tear my hands re- hardly ever anymore. Uh, now that I got the technique down, but, um, once you get past the 48 kilo in the United States, at least I haven't found any kettlebell manufacturers or distributors that make, uh, competition kettlebells past a 48. Uh, they're all oh, cast really? iron. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I have seen some competition bells, uh, like in, in, on, on Instagram where, uh, you have competitive athletes that are like in Russia or in the Ukraine or over in, in that region where yeah. they, I have seen where they have competition, uh, style bells that are as heavy as like 72, 80 kilograms. Ooh. So, that's awesome. Maybe they have like a, I don't know, maybe they have like a local manufacturer there or something where they yeah. live at. And, 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 uh, we just don't have that here in the United States. I don't know why, you know, but at the same time, I don't plan on snatching past my 48 ever. I, yeah. Any, any snatch that I've seen past the 48 doesn't look good. No, no, it's very unwieldy. I mean, I'm not saying that the strength isn't impressive, but if you're going to work on an explosive ballistic movement, once you get past the 48, you're better off doing something else. Like I would rather get stronger with my, my 250 pound sandbag and throw that around as opposed yeah. to trying to do a, a well, the bent press, you know, you're, you're, you're too. getting yeah. heavy weight overhead and moving it. You know, you might as well just bent press, which you obviously yeah. do a bunch of. Yeah. It's funny. You, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I've, I've only used cast iron bells, uh, for these last few years, but I've, I, I, as you've know, as you've noticed, like I have, you know, the cast iron bells, they get, they get thick. Yeah. They get, and they're, they, like you said, unwieldy. Like I have a, an emotional attachment to, to the 48 that I have because it's, it's the same one that Mike tested on the same one Sean did. So it's yeah. like, I want to test on that bell and I'm training with that bell. Uh, but it's, it's a thick ass handle and it's pretty, it's pretty tough to, to use. And that's, that's where you're right. Nuance, nuance is a factor. The, a, a snatch, a get up, you know, uh, those kind of movements, especially with overhead, those, those movements aren't exactly the same going from one bell to the next with your cast iron bells. No, they're but not. The hand they're not. Different. So you're right about that. Yeah. I wish I had like a, a 40 kilo and a 48 kilo cast iron, which I, I may invest in at some point just to try to improve on the pistol squat. Um, I I have not gone past a 32 on my pistol squat. It's my least favorite exercise. I don't particularly like doing pistols, but it is something that I want to get better at. 
if I was able to do a pistol squat with a 48 um, and go in and try to do like a beast tamer challenge, that would be cool too. I've done the, the press and the pull up. It's, it's only, say, you have, you have to be able to do the press. I mean, with, with yeah. the bent press work through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've uh strict pressed the 48 for a triple on my right arm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I have, I did it once and I haven't, uh, I didn't record that, but I have gotten doubles on both arms on a, a regular basis. And then, um, I've gotten the, the pull up, I've done a pull up with the 48, uh, I've gotten that for a double before. Oh, wow. um, yeah, but I, I have not worked my way up on the pistol squat. And what I've found is that, um, doing a pistol squat with the cast iron, as opposed to a competition bell makes it much easier to perform the pistol because whenever you have the uh, competition bell, the, the window, the, the handle on the competition belt, yeah. they, they go straight up. It's a square. So yeah. it makes it a lot harder to grab onto and keep your balance and, and go down and come back up. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the cast irons, they have that loop and mm-hmm. you can get your hands like, underneath it a little oh, bit in that area and you can you can keep your balance a lot better that makes sense, and yeah. so uh the vast majority of the time uh whenever i do pistol squats it's at the gym on a deadlift day after i do heavy deadlifts mm-hmm. and and what i find is that uh doing heavy deadlifts is a great segue into the pistol squat um it actually warms you up quite well for the pistol squat and then uh when you go in there and do them uh, and they have a 32 kilogram cast iron there. Um, it makes it easier to do the pistols. Uh, nice. Yeah. Oh, keep that in mind. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, buddy. I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Oh yeah. No, I said, I'll definitely keep that in mind. Cause I, my first, uh, one of my first goals for during the first shutdown uh, cause we had two shutdowns here in Massachusetts and I'm praying to the gods that we don't have a, another one. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that my, my goals were, I wanted to hit the simple cause I, I, I had my 20 K and I bought a 32 K through the strong first website, yeah. and, you know, paid way more, uh, than I should have for it, but that's okay. Um, uh, and, uh, my goal is like to hit the simple and sinister with the 32 and, uh, and did that. And then uh, as a accessory work, I, I wanted to hit a one arm push up. And then a pistol squat and I worked yeah. on it. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I'll think I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to keep that in mind next time I go back to yeah. the barbell and think about, uh, incorporating the pistol work into it. So, yeah, it, it's great on a deadlift day. If I do it on a squat day, my legs are way too wiped out to even try yeah. to attempt Your quads are probably just toast. Yeah. Yeah, nah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but on a deadlift day, um, and I also find that it actually helps the deadlift too. Um, nice. you know, with the pistol squat, the dorsiflexion, the uh, the the flexion in the lumbar and, and sacral regions of your back, mm-hmm. and and all of the mobility that you gain from pistol squatting, it it complements your deadlift as well. So mm-hmm. you know if you need more mobility uh, on your deadlift, whether it's sumo or conventional, mm-hmm. depending on how how you prefer to pull, um, you'll find that you'll be able to dip and drive better from doing pistol squats. Nice. That makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously the, you sounds like you've, you, you've been down this rabbit hole, of course, much longer than I have. You've also experienced the fact that the pistol squatting will obviously really work on your ankle mobility, which yeah. obviously will carry over to your squat as well. Your barbell squat, particularly if you're doing like an Olympic or front squatting, yeah. 
I'm sure it really helps you get into that good deep uh, barbell squat because you've you've increased that uh, dorsal flexion of the ankles. So yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah, so that's good stuff, man. Um, awesome. Well, Zach, this was a this was a great great talk, man. I guess the last thing I want to finish off with is. Uh, not fitness related, but talking more about the vices. I see that you are a cigar guy yeah. and, uh, I, I love cigars as well. I, my wife grew up in a smoke-free family though. So I only, I do it at most maybe once a year. Uh, like this last year I went to a music festival with my sister and, uh, it was outside and we had fun listening yeah. to heavy metal and, 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 and lit one up. What's your, what, what are your go-to, uh, stogies? What, what's your, what do you like to do? Uh, and you know, I only have a cigar maybe once every couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, and for anybody that's not really into cigar smoking, there's definitely like a ritual to it. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and a cigar is not at all the same thing as a cigarette, you know, a right, cigarette yeah. has, that's a good know, preface for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a cigarette has, you know, over 250 added chemicals to it. And, yeah. uh, you inhale it into your lungs. Um, it's extremely addictive. You know, it, people have a harder time quitting cigarettes than they do quitting a, like a cocaine habit, you know, um, yeah. That, yeah. that's how addictive it is. But, uh, cigars, a premium hand rolled cigar from, you know, Honduras, Nicaragua, that region of the world, it's 100% tobacco. There's nothing yeah. else added to it. Yeah. You don't inhale it. Um, it's for taste, uh, not for, not necessarily to get a fix, so to speak. But it does have a very relaxing, calming effect. It, for me, it's it's kind of a meditative practice, and there are a li- different uh, uh, techniques and things like that that you have to develop. Mm-hmm. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Just like with kettlebell training. Of course, yeah. Uh, as far as <laughs> you know, as far as lighting a, a cigar, cutting it the right way, um, knowing how to pace yourself with the cigar so that it, you know, it it's a pleasant experience. It doesn't go out on you, and you have to relight it and stuff like yeah, that. But yeah, you don't um, get sick, which happened to me the very first time. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it is definitely it's an acquired taste and. uh yeah. It's just something that I got into, mm-hmm. you know, over the past couple of years. But mm-hmm. uh, maybe once every couple of weeks, I'll, I'll I'll have one on the back porch, and uh, it, it's a very relaxing thing to do. And and in this world that we live in, with everything being so fast paced and everything, you know, emph- everybody emphasizing the urgency and and uh, uh, trying to get things done, it is good to have something where you can just slow down and take your time and enjoy your own company. We need a little bit more of that in this world. And, and that's the one area of my life where I can just slow down and take my time and kind of self-reflect a little bit. Um, Yeah, definitely. But I I don't force that onto anybody. Uh, You know, people do what they do, but that's just something that I, I enjoy doing. But as far as my, uh, my go-to cigars are definitely the uh, the Padrones and the Olivas, and then the uh, the Rocky Patels okay, are, nice. are a third. Um, th- those are pretty much my main go-tos. As far as the style of cigar, um, I prefer Torpedoes. Mm-hmm. 
they're just they're they're easier to manage and cut either torpedoes yeah. or, or toros um churchills are just too big you know i don't really like a huge cigar it's, it's a lot to yeah it's a lot of work with the cutting and everything and lighting. yeah, yeah. And well and, and the <laughs> thing is like even if i have like a, a torpedo or a, a toro that that's you know an hour and a half to get it to the nub you know yep, exactly and, and i like taking my time and self-reflecting but not not that long you know but um <laughs> yeah but uh yeah th- those are the the main go-tos um and that that's pretty much it yeah no that's cool man yeah i i uh i i'm i think the, my first time i ever had one was maybe uh, seven or eight years ago back in, uh, back in college. But, uh, yeah, I do like once, once a year at most, yeah. I, my wife, my wife is, is actually allergic to smoke. She actually likes oh, like, okay. smoke, like campfires and stuff actually, actually bother her. So I have to be very selective, very careful with when I do. And obviously I don't want to be smoking around my, around my baby girl, but, um, but yeah, no, I, that's good stuff. I've, I always just go for like the Romeo y Julieta, like, you know, $10 yeah. special. And those are, those are obviously pretty, Pretty decent, but I'll uh, I'll definitely try those recommendations uh, at some point when the uh, when the opportunity arises. Do you have like a do you drink anything with it? Do you have a drink you pair with it, or you just go out there and just relax and just have the stoke? I I might pair it with like rum on occasion. Mm, yeah. You know, nothing special. Just maybe like a little mm-hmm. bit of Captain Morgan's. Not very often though. Just when I'm in nice. the mood. Most of the time, mm-hmm. I just have the cigar. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. It's it's definitely. Um, I definitely can understand the appeal of both, but it is nice. Yeah. I agree with you. We, we, we lived in Mississippi before Massachusetts and, uh, we, we had a, a, a very, uh, we were very fortunate. We lived in a house that backed up onto a golf course. So we had a backyard and a porch, uh, but there, it, the, the hole was there, the golf course hole was there. So it looked like you had this huge spacious, uh, backyard and, uh, man, it was one of my favorite things to do. Sit out there, hang out, you know, watch, uh, watch the golfers go by. And uh, yeah. people walking their dogs and having fun. People going by in the golf carts. And uh, you're right; it is good, good self reflection time. So it's uh, you won't see me out there doing it right now. And here it's like twenty. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's the other. That's the other thing I was going to mention too. Like, it's not a habit to where I've got to have it, you know, every day or all the time. Exactly. If if, if yeah. it's if life gets busy and I don't have time for it, then I won't do it. Or if it's cold outside. Um, it's not like a cigarette smoker where you have to go outside in a foot of snow to have yeah. your cigarette on your 15 oh, minute break from work. If oh, it's, yeah. if it's cold outside, I'm not having it. I'm going to stay in the And I'm not going to smoke in the house because I don't want my house to smell like a cigar, but, exactly. um, yeah. but if I can do without it, that doesn't bother me. It's just exactly. whenever I have time to get around to it. And that's the key. Yeah. And that's definitely the distinction. And I, and I can tell you as a former smoker, uh, you know, c- cigarette smoking is, it, it is a very selfish and very pathetic habit to have, yeah. uh, you know, being, being on the other, other side of it now and looking and it's just, you're right. You'll go into any, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had cigarettes before, but it's, you'll, you'll, you'll put yourself in, in the most inclement weather just to, just to get your fix. And it's just, it's, it's just absolutely pathetic. Yeah. I just, I remember just feeling so, just so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Then. I mean, I tried cigarettes like a few times in like high school and I didn't care for it all that much. Yeah, good. I did try, I tried, uh, uh, dip a couple of times, like the, the grizzly, like 
the skull dip. <laughs> the redneck <and>, special. <laughs> oh man. And like the second time I tried that, uh, my, my buddy in high school, he was into dipping and, uh, he let me try some and we were driving around in his pickup truck and, uh, we were going down like the main road in the, uh, the small town that I grew up in and he was driving down, down the street. And I told him, you're, you're going to have to stop or pull over or something. And so I can open the door and, yeah. uh, and, and throw up. And that's what ended up happening. Like I spit that, that, uh, that water dip out and I threw up all in the middle of the street and yeah, I've never done it again since that was then. it. You probably, your stomach probably still turns whenever you see it. If you're at a gas station or something, you're like, Oh God. No, yeah. No, no. no. Not again. Yeah. It, it's funny too, because whenever I was in high school, I took a criminal justice and there was a police officer that would come and take that or teach that class. Mm-hmm. And one day he came into class and he had a big water, the biggest water dip in his mouth I've <laughs> ever seen. And yeah. he didn't even have a, a spitting cup or anything. He just had that water dip in his mouth. And wow. as, as the class went by within that 45 minute period, that wad of dip got smaller and, and, and uh, the, the, the guy that was sitting by me, uh, one of my classmates, we were sitting there discussing it. Like, look at that wad of dip in his mouth. And uh, <laughs> we were discussing how like it was just gradually getting smaller and smaller. Oh. And by the time the class was over, that wad of dip in his mouth was gone. Like we were like, yep, he swallowed all of that. Like, oh, I can't, I, like dude, on. like how do you even tolerate that? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, oh god yeah that's uh that's that's a that that's next level that's next level. yeah 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 that's um, like that's over nine thousand level on the yeah on the dip that yeah. guy great that guy could have gone to fear factor man he would <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever the game to him he would have been fine <laughs> so um good stuff man awesome well zach uh so w- one thing i want to finish off with do you have your terrible dad joke <laughs> When it comes to simple and sinister, somebody has to call the crime scene investigation because I killed that program. Yeah. There you go. There's my dad joke. Nah. There's your dad joke. That's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I think that's great. Um, good stuff, man. So you've got your your simple snatch programming. You're working on another one for, yeah. for the press and the and the uh, the bottoms up press. Where can everyone find you if they're interested in, you know, connecting with you on social media uh, and also supporting your business? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I do my main thing, uh, wandering underscore Gerovic. Um, or you can just type my name in the search, uh, Zach Morris, Z-A-K-M-O-R-R-I-S. Uh, my page will come up. You can also follow me on TikTok, um, same handle, same nice. name. And okay, then cool. uh, you can also follow me on Facebook. I have my personal page and then also my uh, my business page, uh, Zach Morris on Facebook. And then uh, wandering Gerovic publications is my business page. So you can follow me, uh, through any of those resources. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link all that below in the, uh, in the description on, uh, on YouTube and Spotify. So let everybody know where they can, where they can find you. So, um, well, Zach, I really appreciate your time, man. I, I would love talking with you. I'm definitely going to have to get out to Texas one of these days, you know, when this, when this crazy pandemic's over and we'll have to, we'll have to swing some bells, do some bent presses. And, uh, and definitely light up a, light up a good stove yeah. uh, at some point. So yeah, DeMarco, I appreciate you having me coming on and, uh, maybe at some point I'll come to the East coast, 
you know, that's yeah. the one thing I'd like to do on, is, man. is, uh, you know, ever since the pandemic happened, um, I haven't wanted to get out and travel all that. Well, I've wanted to give it out, get out and travel more. Um, but the pandemic kind of put a hindrance on that. So hopefully yeah. in the next couple of years, I can get out and do more things. You know, I have a, a few people that I've met over in, uh, in Miami, Florida too. So, nice. and I've been, I, I went to Miami, uh, in West Palm beach a couple of years ago and I, I didn't want to leave. And so I'd, I, I'd like to go back there too and, and visit some other places. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, man. If you, if you, I would suggest the summertime because the winters get really cold here, but yeah, if you, yeah. If you ever find yourself in, yeah. you ever find yourself in, in Boston area, uh, definitely hit me up, man. We can work out and have some fun and, and, uh, I can show you, show you the cool stuff around here. So yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Well, brother, appreciate your time. And, uh, want to thank everybody so much for watching. And, uh, as always remember to train your body and feed your mind.